We had church tonight, amen? <laughs> you know how hard it is to do that and then tell me I've got to be, have a brief message ready for this weekend? What a time we've had in worship and celebration. Praise the Lord, amen? Let this bunch know how much, again, you appreciate them. God bless you guys. Amen. Amen. Approximately 2,000 years ago, Simon Peter stood up on a day that has become known in church history as the day of Pentecost. And on that day, Simon Peter stood and he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was just recently that Jesus had been crucified and buried and risen from the dead. And now Simon Peter stood up full of the Holy Spirit of God and he proclaimed the glorious gospel. And the Bible records for us that on that day, 3,000 people trusted Jesus Christ. They embraced the gospel, devoted their lives to Jesus and became followers of Christ. But if you're not careful, you miss something very significant that's a part of that story. Because you see what happened when those 3,000 people embraced Christ is that something was born. A community was born. We call it the church. That's a word that we've used so frequently and so often that it's become so familiar that when we use the word church, it, it doesn't really necessarily even always mean what was intended when it was born. But church is community. Listen to it in Acts chapter 2. Look at this on the screen. Verse 41 says, So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were, what's the next word? Added about 3,000 souls. It begs a question. Added to what? They were added to the community. The community of believers, the local church, is community. And I want you to listen to what happened next. Look at Acts 2, verse 42. Listen to what happened after that moment. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing with them all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number. Day by day. Those who were being saved. Do you hear how natural it was? 
I don't know about your Bible, but in my Bible, there's not a verse between verse 41 and 42 that says they brought them all together and taught them how to do church. And I was re- I've read that like you, I'm sure. I've read that hundreds of times. But this week as I read it, it, it birthed something in my heart that I want to I put on the screen. Here's the statement. Community is not what we do as a church. Community is who we are as a church. It's not what we do. Like some people think they can come to church and not participate in community. Community is not something we do at church. Community is who we are. When the church was born, it birthed a community that was living and vibrant and active. And as you read those verses, it just began to flesh itself out. Now, we've been infected in the Western world with a very individualistic mindset. And it's affected church. We come to church and think church is all about me. Hey, we even look for a church. Based on what it does for me. Do they do the music I like? Uh Uh-oh. Do they dress like I like to dress at church? Do the people look like I look? Does the preacher teach like I like him to teach? Is he too loud? Is he too soft? Does he have a bad southern accent? (laughs) But the New Testament knows nothing of a Christianity like that. It was community. As a matter of fact, just a thought, every book in the New Testament after the Gospels was either addressed to a community of believers, it was describing the activity of a community of believers, or written to affect change in a community of believers. Nothing individual about it. It's community. Now, as the church began to grow and expand, this idea of community basically expressed itself in two forms. One, we're doing tonight, large group. Large group community has been a part of the church since the day it was born. 3,000 people on day one. I'd say that's a large group, right? I can imagine on that Sunday, people going to Peter and saying, you know, I just don't know if I like this church anymore. It's just gotten too big. You know the bad thing? There wasn't another one down the road they could go to. This was it. They would gather, the Bible says, in the temple courts. It's most often gathering place for the believers in this day, for the large group. Listen, what we've done tonight is a valuable part of community. Coming together corporately as a large group to worship and to celebrate and to listen to the Word of God. That is a valuable part of community. But listen to me. For 2,000 years, the church has not just gathered in large group. The church has also gathered in small group. The Bible says they met in the temple, but the Bible also says they met from house to house. 
And unfortunately, in our individualistic Western mentality, many are participating in church community only in large group. And if that's all you do, you are missing out on a significant experience of the life of following Jesus. You see, small group is not just a program that the church came up with somewhere in the 20th century. Large group and small group has been the pattern and practice of the New Testament church since the day it began. The Bible says in verse 41, 3,000 people got saved. Verse 42 says they kept gathering. Large group, small group. Temple courts, house to house. Small group is just a small group of people. It's a community that together is focused on rightly relating to God, to one another in the world. This weekend is really celebrating worship and large group, but it's also, for us at Hope, celebrating small group. We're kicking off our fall season of small groups, and in about five minutes, I want to give you four reasons why every one of us should be participating in a small group. Now, I'm not just talking about for those of you that attend Hope. If you attend other churches, listen, I know we've got some other leaders here tonight from other churches. This principle is true in your church, too. You need to go and connect in a small group where you are. And I'm going to give you four reasons why. Here's the first one. You need others to grow in intimacy with God. The Bible tells us here that these people begin to devote themselves together to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, and to fellowship. Let me give you my paraphrase of that. They were continually gathering in informal settings to share in each other's lives through prayer and the Word of God. From the moment the church began, they were gathering in informal settings in homes, and they were taking what they were hearing from the apostles, and they were saying, man, how does that apply to your life? How does that apply to my life? They were sharing in each other's lives, and they were praying together. It wasn't a program in the church. It was a part of being community. The Bible says, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. The reality is there are things about God you'll never learn apart from fellowship with other believers in small group settings. If you're not in a small group, let me tell you what you're doing. You've just put a lid on your intimacy with God. Don't think that this is a Lone Ranger journey. It's not. God wants to do things in your life, and some of the things God desires to do in your life will only be accomplished as you engage in the life of other Christians and you see God's word in their life and you see it manifest itself and you hear the testimony and the story. It's in small group settings that you deepen intimacy with God. Number two, you need others to walk through the ups and downs of life. Listen to verse 44 and 45 again. Look what it says. All those who had believed were together and had all things in common, and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing with them all as anyone might have. What's the last word? A very real part of the human experience is need. If you're not in need right now, you've been in need. Or you know somebody in need, or uh uh-oh, you're headed to a situation where you're going to be in need. 
Every one of us knows what it is to need something. Sometimes it's a financial need. Sometimes, man, especially in this economy in the last 12 months, people have faced all kinds of things. Some people have needed some things financially. Sometimes it's a physical need. Maybe you're sick. You need some help. Somebody to take you to the doctor. Somebody to go pick up some medicine for you. Somebody to bring you a hot bowl of chicken noodle soup. I don't know what it is, but we know what it is to be in need. Sometimes it's emotional. Sometimes you just need somebody to put their arm around you. It's one of those days where everything in the world has fallen apart at work and you just need somebody to speak a word of encouragement in your life. Where does that come from? Community. If you're trying to live out this thing called Christianity on your own, you will struggle because we all have need. And God designed community to meet our needs. The Bible calls it the one another relationship. There were 50 references in the New Testament to the one another relationship. Listen to some of them. Love one another. Give preference to one another. Accept one another. Encourage one another. Serve one another. Bear one another's burdens. Pray for one another. Forgive one another. Comfort one another. Listen, there are times of joy in my life when I need to celebrate with others. There are times of sorrow in my life when I need to grieve with others. And in those moments of my life when I am in need, listen carefully. If all you know about church is large group community, listen, you will feel all alone. Small group. You may find this shocking. God doesn't send an email to the pastors at Hope when you're in need. Now, I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek, but But I really want you to know that. (laughs) Because I think there's some people that think he does. We don't get an email about what's going on in your life. If all we know is large group. Listen, even if God did send us an email. We have over 2,000 regular attenders that attend this church. Over 3,000 people got saved on the day of Pentecost. If God had sent Peter an email, there's not anything. There wasn't enough hours in the day for him to meet all the needs. How does God meet those needs? Small group. Listen. And I want you to hear this with all sincerity and every ounce of my heart. If you are not in a small group and you experience a crisis in your life, you will probably feel like the church let you down. Because remember, the church is community. The church is not an organization. The church is community. And if you are not living life in community, you are missing out. You need others. Number three, you need others to accomplish the mission. Rick Warren, who, by the way, just recently committed to come and speak at our pastor's conference that we're going to be hosting for our denomination uh, next June, so you can be praying about that. But listen to what he said in his great book, The Purpose Driven Life. We are created for community, fashioned for fellowship, and formed for a family. 
And none of us can fulfill God's purposes by ourselves. How many of you have ever heard this phrase, the Great Commission? Let me see your hand. That's what I thought. Can I tell you something you may not know? In all four Gospels and the book of Acts where the Great Commission is given, it's always you plural. It's never you singular. You know what that means, right? It's not your mission. It's our mission. The Great Commission was not given to the individual. The Great Commission was given to the community. Now, individually, we're a part of it as we live out community. But you need others to accomplish the mission, not just large groups, small group. Listen to what the Bible said in Acts 2. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. Now listen to the next verse. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. you hear what was happening? The mission being accomplished was the overflow of community. As they were living out their relationship with God in the context of fellowship with each other, guess what was happening? The mission was being accomplished locally and globally. Well, remember I said at the beginning that we've been impacted by a Western mindset that's very individualistic. So what I've told you so far is what small groups do for you. Let me give you the fourth reason you need to be in a small group. You need others. Others need you. You see, being in a small group is not just about you. Everything I said tonight, others need that from you. Others need to deepen their intimacy with God after seeing God at work in your life. Others need to walk through the ups and downs of life. And guess what? There's going to be some days you are the word of encouragement. You're going to be the shoulder that they cry on. You're going to be the one taking them to the doctor. They need you to accomplish the mission. You need others. Others need you. When you came in tonight and your seat was a little brochure that looks like this. For those of you that call Hope your home, On the inside of that is a listing of a lot of new small groups that we're launching. I'm encouraging you tonight to take that. Find a time and a group that meets your needs. Fill this out. And in just a moment when we receive our offering, I want you to drop this in the offering basket. Or if you want to talk, we're going to have some of our small group leaders at kiosks out here in the courtyard when we finish the service tonight. You can go out there and stop by and meet some of those small group leaders and get some information about small groups. But listen to me very carefully. There shouldn't be a single person here leave tonight and not be committed to large group and small group. You need it and others need you. Let's pray. God, we bow before you tonight and thank you for your word. And Lord, as we've taken just a moment to look at the principles of community, God, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts. And Lord, even now, God, I pray that you would have your way in this time. As you're sitting there before the Lord tonight, we're not going to have a time where 
we invite people to respond publicly. I just want you to respond privately right where you're sitting. I'm asking you right where you are to pray about this idea of community. And it's a very simple question. Are you in a small group? I don't need to ask you if you're in a large group. You're sitting here. Are you in a small group? Hey, if you're in a church that doesn't offer small groups and you want to get in a small group, you don't have to come to our church. You can go to large groups somewhere else and be in small groups here. That's fine. Every Christian needs large group and small group community. As you're sitting there before the Lord, I'm about to talk for just a second to people that maybe are here tonight that don't know Jesus. But if you're here and you know Jesus, I want you in your heart to be looking at that brochure and asking God, God, what group? And a lot of you can check it and drop it in the offering basket in just a moment. But some of you need to go outside and meet some small group leaders after the service and find a group that works for you. We all need it. Listen, for 2,000 years, this has been the church. Large group, small group. It's in like a new program we came up with. Since Acts chapter 2, it's been the practice and the pattern. Believers, while you think about that, let me say just another word. If you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we hope the message that you've heard tonight is that ultimate story of love. Hey, the Bible teaches every one of us is a sinner. But Jesus Christ came as the sinless God and took on human flesh, lived a sinless life, and he offered his life on a sacrifice as a sacrifice for our sins on a cross. And he died in our place, paying the penalty for our sin. But then the Bible says three days later, God raised him from the dead as a testimony that had accepted his sacrifice for our sins. And now you and I, we can be forgiven of our sin and be given a relationship with God by grace when we simply place our faith in the person of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. If you're here tonight and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you would like to embrace him tonight, receive him, receive forgiveness of your sin, to turn from your sin and trust Christ right now with me, you simply pray this. It's not this prayer that saves you. It's your faith in Jesus and what he did. But you simply say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that you died for me. I invite you to come into my life to forgive me of my sin and to be my Savior. Jesus, I turn from my sin and I trust you. Now, if you just prayed that with me for the very first time, I'm going to encourage you to do something. If you really meant business with God, when we break our service in a few moments. I want you to just go out to one of those kiosks where all those small group leaders are going to be. And you can just walk up to them and say, I gave my life to Jesus and they'll take care of the rest. All right. They'll talk with you. They'll get you some information. You just say, I gave my life to Jesus. They'll take care of the rest. God, thank you for your word tonight. It's in the name of Jesus. We pray. Amen.